0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where we break down every Heat game, news item, rumor, and more. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm joined, as always, by David Ramil. It's Monday, which means it's time to open up the mailbag, David. We'll be getting to your questions that you sent in by email to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or on Twitter by using that hashtag heat and then later we'll be debuting a new wrinkle to the Monday Mailbag Show, where David and I come up with our own questions to ask each other. Well, let's start with this question from at speaks who asks, with Rodney Magruder playing so well with as much time he's been given, is it a good idea to sit him when
1: Dion Waiters comes back? That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, obviously Magruder's playing at a very high level, and you wonder how much Dion is able to contribute. Like we've talked about Dion's fit once he returns from injury, which we have no idea when that will be. He seems to be doing some on-court work. He hasn't practiced with the team just yet, so there's no timetable as far as when his, he'll return to the lineup. We've already seen Miami take a delayed approach to brushing anybody back if there's any kind of tightness or issue there, and I think that's a byproduct of having the depth and versatility on this roster that you do that you don't necessarily need to bring anybody back. So with Dion's case, as much as we had projected him to be a starter and somebody who could potentially contribute at a high level, you're getting a lot of that same output from Magruder, perhaps even more efficiently than you ever would from Dion. You might have a a little...
0: Well... So far, it's definitely been more efficient. Okay.
1: That's the question. Does that continue? Okay, not as productive, perhaps, as Dion overall, but efficient production, for sure. Now, are you seeing any kind of a... A drop off maybe in defense from where Dion's defense might be a little bit better than Rodney's, or, or do you think Rodney is a better defender than Dion at this point?
0: I think Rodney is a better defender than Dion. I, Dion has that James Harden-like quality where you put him out on the perimeter on an island or in space, and he can he can get taken advantage of. And Magruder is much better at playing up on guys and getting in their jerseys out in the three-point line and stuff like that. Okay. But like Harden, Dion is just this really bulky, strong guy for his size. Magruder not isn't necessarily. Um, I don't. I don't think he's as strong or hefty as Waiters for better he's or not. worse. Yeah, and not. so Waiters has like this interesting like ability to hold his own in the paint against bigger guys, which again is similar to Harden. But you know from from half court. You know, on, the, on a full court perspective, give me Ronnie Magruder every day of the week. He's a much better defender than Dion. and and I think he's better conditioned, obviously than Dion. And when when Magruder's on the floor, you know, we talk a lot about, hey, you know, this three point stroke is for real. He's been a good three point shooter now for two and a half years. Um, he's the defense has always been there. Now he's putting the ball on the floor. He's running pick and roll. We do all we we, we keep focusing on what he can do. I feel like what we're not talking about enough with Magruder is how he's doing it. He is making decisions so quickly. He is deciding whether or not he's going to put up the shot, keep the ball moving, or attack the basket and get involved in a pick-and-roll and and use a screen. He's making these decisions. He's reading the floor extremely well and making really good decisions. And so I think that really helps when he's in there at the end of a Portland Trailblazers game and Miami needs to get that juice going back after Portland rallies back. You just need good decision makers on the floor, and he's one of those guys, and that's why Spolstra ultimately trusts him because he knows that he's going to make good decisions. Now, when we talk about Dion, that's not necessarily the case. We know Dion, he makes a quick decision, but it's really the only he only makes that one decision, which is I'm going to shoot this ball right now. And so, (laughs) uh, with Magruder, I think he gives you a little bit more. Magruder right now is playing better than I think we could even have expected Dion from playing. And that thing that Dion gave you, why you would start him, and especially next to Goran Dragic, is it gives you that secondary ball handler, that other guy you can run the offense through, that other guy who can crash, collapse the defense, and kick out to open shooters. But there's two things that go against that. One, that's not the the offensive system Miami has ran since Dion has been hurt. And two, um, Magruder could do that now. So it's. Okay, so I, there, just, I, I don't see any reason, quite frankly, for Waiters to play at all and, mic, and, and kind of mix what Miami's doing. And not to mention that if you bring them off the bench, you bring them off the bench with Dwayne Wade. That's a whole other thing.
1: Well, OK, so that's the interesting part then is obviously, as Tuan alludes, Rodney's playing very well. We both agree that Rodney's playing well enough where he's playing better than what you probably could get out of Dion, whether he was healthy or not. The reality is that Rodney Magruder is playing at a very high level and Dion in the past has been very inefficient. But that doesn't change whether or not Spolster has to play him. To be honest with you, I don't know that he's capable... Well, let's say... I know he's capable of making those decisions. I know he's not necessarily going to give playing time to somebody that is an inferior player to somebody else just based on salary. But you have a delicate balance with this roster where, you know, Deion's getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money. He could provide some disruption to this roster and continuity and camaraderie and chemistry and everything else if he's not getting any kind of playing time. I don't know that Spolster can look him in the eye and say, "Look, I'm not going to give you any playing time."
0: I mean, he's going to have to give him playing time, and I've seen this idea on Twitter a lot. Like, why play Dion at all? Well, because you kind of have to. You and and you deserve it. Like Dion, if he works his way back from injury and gets conditioned to and and passes the conditioning test that we know the Heat are going to put him through, then he deserves to get playing time. I mean, if he bounces back from injury and but you just brought
1: up the point about. Bring him on the floor along with Dwayne. I mean, look, we haven't even brought Wayne Ellington, who was Miami's best offensive weapon last season, and we haven't even had him playing at any point over the five games. It's
0: only a matter of time before he takes Tyler Johnson's minutes, though, and that's the other thing. Now, I mean, obviously, we've been talking about this whole you know loaded backcourt situation. Look, Dion is gonna or he's gonna step on the floor. He will play again for the Heat at some point. I just don't know. I think you bring him. You have to bring him off the bench. You don't. First of all. We know Spolster's not the type to just insert him into the starting lineup right away. Coming off of injury, that's not supposed MO. That's not what he does. He requires you to work your way back, right? When it comes to a role-player type like Waiters is. Um, I don't think he cares about the salary. And quite frankly, I don't think the Heat care about the salary because we've seen them bench Whiteside. We've seen them bench Tyler Johnson. They just try to get the most out of the guys that they have. So I do think that Waiters and Wade can coexist. I think Wade is enough of a facilitator. Um, I think Waiters has... Shown the ability to be the secondary option on offense next to Goran Dragic at times, and then at other times take over. And that's fine. You can do that with Dwayne Wade. I don't think that'll be an issue. I think that's actually an overstated issue. I think Waiters and Wade can play together in that backcourt and be that second unit backcourt, and I think it would work really nicely. And then you figure out time for Ellington and Tyler Johnson after that. Waiters is going to get some run. But look, if he doesn't look good, if he looks like he did in the first 30 games of last season when he was a little, you know, he's a little gimpy, um... If he's not fully healthy, he's not finishing efficiently at the rim, and he's not making good decisions with the ball in his hands, I, His he gets less playing time. That's just the way it is. I mean, he's got a huge salary, but so does basically everybody else in this roster. So somebody's got to play the minutes. And so they're only paying him a couple million dollars more, three or four million dollars more than they're paying Wayne Ellington. It's not a big deal. You've got to pay these. They're already paying these guys. You've got to figure out how to play them. And if you don't earn it, you don't get to play. I just I think it's that simple. I'm not worried the about the On the flip salary.
1: side of this, the fact that Rodney's playing at the level that he is should provide some kind of motivation for Dion to return back. Like I I feel like he's still competitive enough, even if he's battled through injury, even if he let his weight become an issue, which I'm not hundred percent convinced that he is as fat as we think he might be either way with Rodney playing at the level that he is, he should be able to motivate Dion to bringing his game up to another level. So maybe he's not going to necessarily rush back from injury, but let's say the bar has been set a lot higher for Dion to reach that and to earn his playing time. And I think that's just the way of life around the NBA, and everybody's aware of it. Very rarely, unless you're a number one pick or a top lottery pick, are you going to be given playing time when you don't necessarily deserve it? Just because if you're a tanking team, you want to see what that player might be able to provide, etc. You want to be able to gauge whether or not you invested wisely in said player. But otherwise, I think in Dion's case, we've seen enough there, he's proven himself to his organization. Now it's up to him to kind of reprove himself by playing at a higher level. So I have a I have a wild card question for you. And Sounds I
0: would I, I could save it for our last segment, but I'm not. Do it. If Dion doesn't come back healthy and he doesn't look good, and Miami is forced to basically make a decision in that backcourt with and basically not play somebody, and it, there is going to be a point where somebody just drops out of the rotation altogether, if it's clear that it's not working with Dion. If it's clear that you need to get under the luxury tax and that you're not going to be able to trade a guy like Dion and you're not ready to trade somebody else on this roster, do you consider stretching him, stretching and waving Dion Waiters? Because it would basically be he's making about eleven million dollars this year. Right. Um, if you stretched and waived his contract over the, and what you would have to do is pay him for the next seven years, right? This year plus the next six. So for the next seven years, you're paying Dion Waiters his salary. It comes out to, I think, if I'm doing the math right, four point seven million dollars a season against the cap to have Dion not play for you. As opposed it to it gets my it would get Miami under the luxury tax right away, um, like right now, and then you're not. But then you're you've got almost five million dollars against the cap for the next seven years. Is that something you consider?
1: I I don't think they, ooh, I don't think they would. Based on the way the teams operated in the past, I think they'd rather mm-hmm. just have somebody on, on the roster. Um, and, and have them be an option to you know potentially improve. Like I think they have enough faith in their development system and being able to get a player up to playing shape and everything else and have them contribute to some level where they would rather have Dion, if they're going to have to pay him anyway, they'd rather pay him and have him be an option, even if he's not a very viable one. Right.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think the luxury tax could... I, I agree with you, but I think the luxury tax, just the fact that they have to pay it, could factor into that decision. And they're not, by the way, not going to happen with Tyler Johnson. They'd have to pay him $8 million, which is almost twice as much as what they would have to pay Dion, even if it's for four years as opposed to seven, but still. Um, Let's pause here, and when we come back, we'll talk about if Hassan Whiteside is on track to make the All-Star team. So stick around. We'll be back after this quick break. We all love a night out, right? Whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team with vivid seats, You can attend the concert show or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. You could sort by price or look for the seats in the section and row of your choice if you already know where to sit. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off of orders of $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use the promo code Locked On for $20 off of orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. That's a big deal. And from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theaters and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app. Enter promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off of orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. That's promo code Locked On for $20 off of orders of $200 or more. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime, and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. We're debuting a new segment for our Monday Mailbag show later on called That's a Good One, where David and I come up with our own questions to ask each other, but let's get to this next question from Chris who writes in, if Hassan Whiteside keeps playing like this and the heat hover around or just over 500, do you think he will get all-star consideration? David, what do you think?
1: No. No. I don't. I don't think that just hovering around 500 is enough. I think if we've seen in the past, they have to be on very winning teams. They have to have either a a history of of being all-stars in the past. They have to be a guy that I think coaches around the league respect and want there in the lineup. Like, let's look at the Chris Bosh situation just because it works very well. It's not necessarily a direct analogy, but it's one that works. Bosh, obviously a very well-recognized name. Um, Never elected as a starter throughout the, I think, 11 times that he was chosen as an all-star. Never once elected as a starter. Always a coach's insertion there. One, because they saw the kind of production that he had on the court. They saw his impact, even if it wasn't one that fans credited or other players might necessarily credit. They always saw what he brought, particularly in the defensive end. And as far as Whiteside's concerned, you've got the inverse where I think a lot of coaches around the league see him as being a very talented malcontent, one that doesn't necessarily play well. The fact that they're, if he can continue to play well, and that's a big if, if he can continue to play well, they'll start to come around, I think. They'll start to be a little impressed with what he does and think that maybe Spolstra, because again, within the coaching community, they always want to give credit to whomever is able to maximize the most out of a player. I think they'll be, pr- they'll, you know, they'll be proud of what Spolstra has been able to accomplish. I don't know that they're necessarily going to give that credit to Hassan right away. Like, he would have to be putting up monster, undeniable numbers. And it's not like, he's not a Paul Millsap, a guy who did yeoman-like work, even if he wasn't putting up 20 points per game. You know, and even then, let's think about it. He was part of 50, 60-plus win teams when he was in Atlanta. And that's why he gets the kind of all-star consideration that he did. And the same thing with Chris Bosch, obviously. Mm-hmm. With Hassan Whiteside, if by the time the all-star break rolls around and Miami's at like 27 and 25 or something like that, that's not necessarily going to be like tipping anybody off to like, wow, we've got to bring Whiteside in there. He's done enough to earn this. No, I, yeah. I, I don't see it personally. And I it's, think there's it's,
0: all- it's those it, It's those teams that are on that 55 to 60 win pace that usually get the silent contributor right. on the all-star team, right? Um, Which is a weird, like, we're talking about Whiteside as a silent contributor at this point, how the tables have turned for Hassan. Look, you look at that Portland game that Miami just played. He only had five points in the game, only took eight shots, but had 16 rebounds, had six blocks, was a tremendous force on the defensive end, even if he did get, you know, he got burnt by Damian Lillard a hundred times in the pick and roll, but hey, join the club, everybody does. So, I, I... I like Whiteside's contributions, especially on the defensive end. You live what he could do on the offensive end. uh, or You live with some some of the bad shots that he takes on the offensive end if he's doing what he's doing on the defensive end, which he has been so far this season. But look, his numbers aren't up to snuff for the All-Star game. I mean, he's basically... He, he's averaging less than 12 points per game. He's making 4 out of every 10 field goals, basically. He's shooting less than 50% from the field. He needs to get that field, po- uh, field goal percentage up, especially if he's only going to be taking 10 shots a game. You look at a guy like DeAndre Jordan, he's averaging 16 points a game for the Mavericks on fewer shots than Whiteside, 9.2. Whiteside's got 10.0. But Jordan is shooting 63% of the field because he doesn't take those random corner threes. He doesn't take those 18-foot push shots or 18-foot jump hooks. He just finishes at the rim and that's it. And that's what Whiteside needs to do. Because if he's not going to get the shots and he's not going to get those shots, then he needs to go out and make sure that the shots that he does get are extremely efficient. If he is only going to be averaging 10 shots per game. And then you look also in the East, a guy like Andre Drummond made the All-Star game over Whiteside last year. Probably going to do that again. Or he's yeah. averaging um, nearly he's averaging almost half points per game. He's well, that, taking six change. to seven more shots than Whiteside at a, and, and shooting at a higher percentage. His rebound numbers are better. Whiteside is second in the league in rebounding, only behind Andre Drummond. Um, he's also, Whiteside is, fifth and fourth in the league in blocks per game. But if you get those points up, now we start talking about all-star consideration. He needs to do that. So to answer the question, no, if he keeps playing like this, he's not going to be an all-star consideration. He's got to ramp up that field goal percentage first. Um, let's go to our next question from Billy, who writes in, We have too many often-injured players with this group, and it seems like a large chunk of those injuries seem to come from the wear and tear of all the grueling practice or workouts. I'm not saying the entire team needs a maintenance program, but bring the intensity down from an 11 at all times, except in the third quarter, to an 8. David, do you think that Miami's grueling practice schedule, the fact that they're they're old-school in their approach to practice and to conditioning
1: is the reason why this team is so injured all the time? I think it's one, a conservative approach from their training staff where they'd rather not force a player back in there. And again, I think that you can rely on um, the team's depth so that you can still have production across every position and you're not necessarily worried about having a glaring hole as far as uh, the, you know the kind of players or, or quality of play that you could field at any given moment. I do think that the workouts are a problem. Like, I think we're starting to see more and more around the league that you have to respect the fact that players need rest. And I know the old school and the old heads want to say, what what are you talking about? You fly luxury first-class private charter planes. You stay at five-class hotels. The schedule's more spread out than ever. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you. I can't say that I could quantify what the difference was in the 1970s versus, you know, today – but the reality is that I think players play at a much more athletic level than they did. I think seasons are longer. I think you, I think careers are longer, and I think that's another thing that has to be uh, taken into consideration. Where you might have had an eight-year career, you know, during the '70s and '60s, etc., while you were playing at this kind of or practicing and playing at this kind of level. Now you want to stretch it out as much as possible, and I think that has to be taken into consideration. Look, I, I've been there waiting for Spolstra-led practices. They don't end quickly. If, if they say that they're going to end by a certain time, you can almost virtually guarantee that you're gonna wait an extra hour after that. and that's that's unfortunate you know from a media perspective, but at the same time, that's just what they feel is important you know and and other teams well, are. do you do this. think
0: what's what's the difference?
1: because
0: I think there's a balance here that we're talking about because the heat are considered one of the best conditioned teams in the league, but I think when people talk about that, they're referring to the on the the players who are on the court who are healthy. Are able to play harder for longer. I don't think so. I think that the the Heat only won as many. Look, I've said it comes off as very critical, but um, I don't think I'm being as critical as it sounds when I say the Heat are not a talented team. But they're just they play way harder, and that was evident to me at least last season. The only reason the Heat were in the playoffs was because they just played harder for 82 games than almost any other team in the league, and so. That's what gets them there, and with the lack of talent that they have, and trust me, there is a major lack of talent on this roster uh, of high end talent, I should say. That's how you get into the playoffs. So I do think that it, I I don't think it's overstated. I think they play harder for eight, for forty eight minutes than probably any other team in the league does. At this this current group right now, as as it stands, but um, can they do that without the conditioning? And at what point is does the conditioning go too far? And Billy seems to think you could take that conditioning, you can keep that conditioning at an eight and still get maybe 90% of the results as opposed to bringing it to an 11 and, you know, and, and suffering these injuries. Maybe there's something
1: to that. I think I, I agree 100%, to be honest with you. I, I really feel like a lot of these players get to the point that they are because they maintain the off season conditioning at a certain level. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But during the course of the season, you've got to rest players. You really do. I mean, the travel is one thing, but I don't think you can have three-hour practices before games every day that you're on the road or at home. And, and it's just it takes its toll. I, I really don't think that you can have these prolonged shoot-around sessions where you have full practices. I don't think you can do that even as you're trying to incorporate new players. And, and I think that's a that's a problem. If, if you're building on this team and you're hoping that the continuity is enough to build some success for Miami, then why do you have to practice for as long that's as right. you
0: do That's a great point, right? You, they should know all this stuff already.
1: Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. told me that directly. You know that he, he I've asked Bolster about it. It's like it was I asked him during the the home opener against Orlando. I said, Do, "Is it hard for you to assess this team given the number of injuries you've had?" And he said, "No, we've had this continuity for a long time. Everybody knows everything." It's like, okay, well, why are you you know having a three hour practice on a on a game day, no less?
0: Little side note: the Heat travel more air miles than any other team in the NBA this year. Whatever that's worth. Uh, let's pause here, and when we come back, David and I will ask each other the mailbag questions that we came up with for each other, so stick around, we'll be back after this quick break. We're debuting a new segment here, David, it's gonna Ooh. be called That's a Good One, which is maybe, or maybe not a good segment title, I don't know, I just came up with it in a second, and we've just gotta do this, so basically this is what it is. We love the mailbag questions that people send in, uh, but oftentimes I just sort of wanna ask you a question, David, One something that I came up with that's been... You know, bugging me, something that just an itch that I want to scratch. And so what we're doing is that we we obviously see we have our show notes and we put all the questions in from the listeners in here. So David and I have time to kind of look at the the questions and decide how we want to. Oh, you're uh, giving everybody a peek
1: behind the curtain, Wes. It it takes away some of the mystery. I I think our listeners want to know that we're playing it off the cuff, that we're not prepared at all. (laughs) Well, that's what this
0: that's what this whole segment is. I don't know the question you're going to ask me. You don't know the question I'm about to ask you. So we have no time to prepare. This is just, this is authentic. This is raw or whatever. So let's, let's, let's just get to it. Uh, Your question for me. Let's start with yours.
1: All right. If you could replace any one starter on today's lineup with any starter in heat history, other than LeBron James or Chris Bosh and might put this team in contention, who would it be?
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So for starters, let's just clarify that we're talking about the last two games. So it would be, I have to replace one of Goran Dragic um, Rodney Magruder, Josh, or Kelly Olenek, or Whiteside?
1: Yeah, basically, I wanted to say any player on the roster, but it's not that like you can take out Yante Martin for LeBron James. You know that, right. that that would have been a little bit too open ended, I think. And who was it? I don't get LeBron and who? Oh, Chris Bosh.
0: So the best Heat player ever remaining would be Alonzo Mourning, right? Right, and w- but would be Whiteside an upgrade. Is, yeah, exactly. But Whiteside, this is a really good question. But Whiteside's playing well enough. Where I'm like, I don't know if I would pick Alonzo. Um, let's see. Uh, I feel like if I sub out Magruder, Heat fans will hate me, which is not necessarily a de- uh, something that's going to curb my enthusiasm here. But I'm, th- look, off the cuff, I would not have, like, that's the whole point of this. I'm going to go with Tim Hardaway. Oh. replacing Goran Dragic, because... Whoa,
1: whoa. Just earlier I, today, I was thinking Goran Dragic might actually be the best point guard in Heat history. Here you are bumping him out for the other best guard in Heat history.
0: So here's what Hardaway gives me. Hardaway gives me a lead dog. He gives me a scorer. He gives me somebody who could take control of the game and average 20 points per game, no problem. And I think Tim Hardaway would be even better in today's NBA where he's allowed to shoot eight three-pointers a game. Um, Yeah, give me Tim Hardaway... I think that Dragic is a really good. He is a really serviceable point guard who controls the pace of the game, makes really good decisions, and at times can have a great game like he did against Portland, 28 points, I believe. Yes. But that's not the Dragic of the 82 game stretch. Dragic is typically a 16, 17, maybe 18 point per game score, five or six assists a game. He'll hit a three pointer or two. But not going to knock my socks off. Not going to take over the game for long stretches on a game-to-game basis, even though that's what he did against Portland with uh, 10 points in the final five minutes. Uh, Love Goran Dragic, but I think Tim Hardaway gives me what Dragic gives me at a higher frequency. And I think that's what the Heat need, given that they don't have a lead scoring option. I think Hardaway
1: could be that. So I'm going to go with Tim Hardaway. Interesting choice. All right. I'm surprised you didn't go with uh, Shaq either, to be honest with you.
0: Who would you have gone with?
1: I don't know. I honestly, I hadn't thought about it. I didn't. I didn't even consider it because I wanted to put the onus of, of coming up with a solution okay. for you. There are no easy answers. Like at first, I said no, LeBron James, but then I was like, well, that makes it easy. Chris Bosh is a, a perfect fit for today's style of play. I, honestly, I, I might go something kind of obscure, maybe a Jamal Mashburn, because I just think with his versatility, he would be really, really mm. a good fit for this team. But I don't know if Jamal what, is necessarily a position? better improvement.
0: Yeah, that's the at, thing. That's small ball four.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. Look, he was like 270 pounds at his playing weight, so I mean he was pretty hefty. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder, you know, is he? But is he a significant upgrade over say a James Johnson, Lamar Odom? Player? Yeah, that's a great one. That's a really, really good option. We've talked about that before. When I remember when we did our my lineup versus your lineup, the mm-hmm. our, our theoretical matchup, I, I had Lamar Odom. You were pretty pissed off about that. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's one of my favorite Heat players of all time. Uh, Mario Chalmers also came to mind. I thought about just putting Mario Chalmers in there for, for anybody. He could just you make, you don't want to make it too side
1: difficult side. on Golden State, man. I mean, you want them to be able to repeat. <laughs> you know, with Chalmers yeah, in the lineup in the at his prime, yeah, forget it. It's over. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, my question is, it's a two-parter. I'm oh. cheating already the first time we nice. already did this. I'm going to cheat already. Um, where does Rodney Magruder rank in terms of current Miami Heat assets? We asked this oh. question in a little background. We asked this question in our uh, questionnaire that went into that went to our listeners and into our uh, season preview. Um, and so I think the the ones that I had in there was the 2019 first-round pick, Justice Winslow, Bam Adebayo, Josh Richardson. It was ranked those four assets. Let's throw Roddy Magruder in there. Those are Miami, as Miami's prime assets. Where would Magruder rank in there?
1: Okay. First-round pick. Justice Winslow, Bam Adebayo, or Rodney Magruder. Rank those four, and then Josh Richardson. Himself. Oh, Josh Richardson. Um, I have Rodney as I would say still fourth. Fourth, okay. I think. I think Josh is still your best asset. Maybe Bam Adebayo, um, just because of his youth and his potential. You can make an argument that Rodney would be better than Justice Winslow because he's getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money when, once that extension kicks in. So maybe Rodney might be a better asset at this point. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I totally devalue a potential first-round pick. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the least <laughs> valuable of the five assets. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I, <laughs> I know. I do I, I just... <laughs> I, I, and as far as Magruder is concerned, I, I'm not sold. I mean, look, I think he's stepping up. I love his effort, and I think that's the best part of Rodney from Heat fans' perspective is that they love the effort. and And I understand that that makes up for a multitude of sins. And I and I don't know that we're going to see this version of Magruder throughout the course of the season. I'd love for that to be the case. I'm just not sure that of that you know being the case. And so, given that, I I don't rank him as highly as say you know more proven players like a Richardson or even an Right, so he's third. I that, think Ma- third, and then and then the first round pick
0: is last. So, let, so that first round pick could be in the lottery this year. You know, I'm really low on this Heat team. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not guaranteeing a playoff it's not a Lottery at this point. pick. It's not going to be a lottery pick. No way. It not. might be a lottery pick. And look, Magruder though, at making one and a half million for a year, and he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So you retain his rights. I think his value is very high. I'm with you. I wouldn't put him up there with the with the triumvirate. I wouldn't put him up with, with Bam, Winslow, or R- Richardson just yet. Yeah, maybe you can make an argument that Magruder... Look, is more tradable than Winslow right now is because Winslow right now qualifies as a poison pill contract, so it's hard sure. to match that without doing that deep dive into what that exactly means. You can look it up um, if you don't. But Magruder right now is more tradable, so I'd probably rank him behind Bam, Richardson, and Magruder would be the three out of there. But then I'd probably, I I have it right there with that, with our pick that's probably going to be in the lottery, at the end of the lottery.
1: Um, hey, Cameron Payne was a lottery round. pick at some point too, so just, I'm just throwing that out
0: there. Cool, so was LeBron. Um, look, uh, second part of this question, would you trade Roddy Magruder right now, Un- given that he is Miami's best player right Whoa. now, and well. um, up there, one of their top three players, can we agree on that? Sure, uh, right, right now, but also understanding that he's a restricted free agent, and he, you're not guaranteed to be able to bring him back next season because of all the luxury tax and cap situation that the Heat are in. Um, if the Houston Rockets rang Ooh. and said, "Hey, instead of giving four first rounders to Minnesota for Jimmy Butler, because it doesn't sound like they're interested, we still need a three and D wing. We'll give you a, we'll give you our first round pick next year, or th- like this coming draft for Rodden McGruder. What do you do? No, definitely not." I mean that's that's a low twenty pick.
1: I like look one. It's a it's a bad. First of all, it's a draft and a bad draft. I, I I don't know that you want that kind of pick necessarily. It doesn't have the same value perhaps as in years past. That's one. Secondly, it's going to be a low pick regardless. So why trade away a player that's contributing right now? Okay.
0: So other other question, three part question. I'm taking over. Oof. Wow. Sacramento calls. Oh. Says we need youth. We need good playmakers. We need stability. Next to De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and Harry okay. Giles, okay, and Belizaire, who's playing well for them, at center. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Um, yeah. We'll take Tyler Johnson's contract off your hands. Yes, but whatever it is, and then we'll and then attach Rodney Magruder, and then exchange. You get like a, a Iman Shumpert expiring deal or something like that. And that's it. You don't get anything else.
1: A first round, but pick. you do,
0: you don't have to send the first round pick. Instead of the first-round pick, you're sen- you're sending Magruder. They love Magruder. They want his rights. So, yeah.
1: So, Magruder and Tyler Johnson in exchange for, say, Schumpert and, and their first-round pick.
0: No. No first-round picks. No picks. Just oh, from, They're taking Tyler oh. Johnson off our hands. Usually, no. you have to attach a draft pick to Tyler Johnson, but the Heat don't want to move their draft pick. Instead no. of— you're, you're, the Magruder is a sweetener. You don't do it.
1: No, I don't. I, look, I, I, I think— I understand that there are lots of concerns about Tyler because he's not playing up to that contract, which he never was going to do anyway, but I still think that he has room for potential growth. I think he can still make an impact on occasional nights, even if there's not as regular as we'd like as Heat fans, but I would not get rid of Tyler and Rodney Magruder just so I don't have to pay Tyler next year. No way. No way. I don't want to lose Magruder's production that badly. Like, you'd have to get something of value in return, and unloading Tyler's contract is not something of value.
0: I'd think about it. I mean, I don't think the Kings would do that anyway, but I would think about it at the trade deadline as well. You know,
1: I I just want to make a point here because I tweeted something out earlier in the wake of Tyrone Liu's firing from the Cleveland Cavaliers where I pointed out that Miami's ability to bounce back from the loss of, of LeBron James in 2014 should probably go down with much more respect as time continues to move on. And we see how whenever he leaves a team, generally they fall apart. And that was not the case in Miami. Um, But a lot of people seem to disagree with me. There were some responses there about how Riley has burned the team with bad contracts and all this stuff. And it's like, it almost comes across like they're paying. What do you care Mickey Harrison's a billionaire. He can float it. Don't worry about it so much, okay? I, I think everybody should kind of ease off a little bit about the concerns about contracts. And I understand that you, there's a finite pool of money for you to build a team, but it's really not that finite. I, I think Mickey Harrison can float the, the l- luxury tax bill every once in a while. And I'm not so concerned whether or not he has to pay it. Like I couldn't give a damn less. Let's put it out there. And Mickey, if you're listening to this, I'd love to work for you. I'd love to get paid for it by you. But no. No. I will not care too much about you paying too much money for Tyler Johnson or anybody else.
0: All right. I think we end it there with that nice little rant. That's what I appreciate that. That's what this segment is for. Um, That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. As always, you can reach us by sending an email to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or on Twitter by using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Shout out to Tony Martin, my Instagram friend who asked for a shout out. There you go. I forgot to do it for the last couple episodes. Of course, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. And leave us a rating or review while you're there. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. Thanks for joining me, David. You got
1: it, Wes.